At this magical Christmas season of the year, it's good to remember what Jesus told us. He said, love your enemies. We should ask ourselves, what the hell was that guy talking about? After all, when one thinks of all the years in which left-wingers branded us racist and deplorable and then scolded us for being uncivil whenever we fought back, when we think of all the times leftist institutions censored us and shouted us down and even staged riots to attack us and then claimed we were a threat to American freedoms, when we remember how they made movies and wrote books and articles mocking our patriotism and trying to insulate our enemies from criticism and then suddenly dragged out the flag when it came time to overturning our votes with a specious impeachment plan, well, it's easy to imagine it would be fun to drag some of these people out of the Capitol or the New York Times building, whichever was closer, tar and feather them, tie them to a rail, carry them down to the Potomac or the Hudson, whichever was closer, all the while cheering at the sight of their much-deserved humiliation, and finally hurl them into the river where they belong and point and laugh as they're swept out to sea in the debris-filled water, while occasionally also pelting them with rotten fruit and vegetables and maybe a few crumpled-up newspapers and maybe a few crumpled-up anchor people from the news networks. And did I already say we could point and laugh at them? I think I did, but there's no reason we couldn't point and laugh at them some more until they're finally washed out of sight, leaving this great country they in no way deserve better, freer, richer, more powerful, and more united than ever before. I forgot where I was going with this. Oh yeah, Jesus said love your enemies. So I guess we can't do any of that. So, like, Merry Christmas. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety-boo Birds are winging, also singing Hunky-dunky-dee-doo Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy The world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray It makes me want to sing Oh, hurrah, hooray Oh, hooray, hurrah So this is it. This is my last show before the Clavenless Christmas begins. Those of you who have Christ in your lives will, of course, receive more joy and blessing of the season than even I can deliver, as hard as that may be to imagine. Those of you who choose to go both Clavenless and Christless, uh, well, it's been great knowing you and sorry about the dark maelstrom of despair and emotional chaos you'll be experiencing until the new year. But whether you're a Christian or doomed, it should be a comfort to you to look back this Christmas on one of America's greatest years ever. An economy so good, it lifts everyone. So many jobs, we may have to open our borders again just to fill the jobs. Our military is strengthened while our wars are beginning to be drawn down. A rejiggered judiciary is more dedicated to our Constitution than to leftist moral fads. A president has moved to defend our freedom of speech on campus and has repeatedly supported our religious freedoms while defending our most persecuted religious minority, the Jews. And a Republican Party is reunited and re-energized by this offbeat and obstreperous but extremely successful leader. Our foreign policy is kind of chaotic at the moment, but that's actually an improvement over what was happening before. It's an improvement over State Department poobahs engineering a staid progress into a globalism that undermined our institutions and impoverished our heartland. Chaotic things may be, but I can't help noticing that our good friends, the British, are following our lead politically, and our other good friends, the Israelis, have named an entire town after our president. We have no other good friends. And there's every reason to hope we'll come out of the chaos of this restructuring with much more realistic relationships with allies and enemies alike. And oh yeah, another good thing. The Democrats just impaled themselves on their own unreasoning hatred and radicalism with a partisan impeachment vote over nothing that in the real world has covered them in shame. But let's leave the real world for a moment and take a look at the New York Times, a former newspaper. After a psalm, the Times was the first thing I read this morning. 
Here are some of the headlines expressing the paper's opinions of the news of the day. A president impeached and a nation convulsed. Trump has been impeached and Republicans are following him down. Will impeachment drive Trump batty? I laughed out loud when I read these. This is the newspaper that claims our country was founded to defend slavery. This is the paper that claims women's lives were better in the Soviet Union than they were here. This is the paper that on the one hand sees racism in everyone else, but is blind to the clan level bigotry of their repeated attacks on whiteness. So it should come as no surprise to me that they're reporting on a fantasy land that exists only in their own woke little heads. So you have to admit it's pretty comical because they just don't know how little we care. They don't know how little we care about what they think of us. They don't know how little we care what names they call us. They don't know how little we care whether they like our great country or not. They don't know how little we care about the self-hating delusions they try to sell each other every day. Did they impeach the president? Aren't they special? I hope it made them happy. It seems to have. They certainly were celebrating, laughing, and taking selfies despite Nancy Pelosi's stern looks as she tried to get them to pretend to take themselves and our institutions seriously. But I'm glad they had a good time. And now they can pick up the New York Times and read about how the nation is convulsed by their actions and the Republicans are going down and Trump is being driven batty. While we here in reality continue to enjoy the Trumpian peace and prosperity and recommitment to American freedom, it seems almost like a kind of weird and jolly miracle after eight years of Obama. Eight years of the president of the world and his deep commitment to socializing and regulating us into European-style decline while encouraging our enemies with his weakness and even empowering our enemies in Iran. I have no idea why God continues to bless this country when we can be such a bunch of self-destructive idiots sometimes, but then I have no idea why he incarnated himself into our human mess on Christmas and died to forgive our sins. I suppose in both cases it has something to do with the fact, <coughs> with the fact that he loves us and wants us to be free whether we like it or not. But to be perfectly honest, I don't really understand that either. Still, I'll take it. I'll take both God's love and the incredible success of this strange and unlikely presidency. I'll take it, and I hope you'll take it, and I hope you'll take this advice too. As soon as this final Clavin show is over, turn off the Twitter, turn off the news, turn to your family, and turn to God, and leave the dreadful family fantasies of the media and the Democrats behind, and have a Merry Christmas in this startlingly good national reality. The left may be living in a wonderland of convulsion and depression and racism and historic whatever the hell they're up to, and they just don't know how little we care, but I suspect they're going to find out soon enough. So have yourself a merry little Christmas, and we'll talk more about impeachment and the rest in just a minute. But first, let me talk about Ring. I have set these things up in my house, and even here in New York, I can see my house. I can look through my Ring doorbell and see if anybody's there. I've had presents that are still being delivered to the house, and I can make sure no porch pirates are out there taking them away. I can make sure they're being brought safely in. It's not only, not only does it make you safer to have a Ring doorbell and a Ring system protecting your home, but it makes you feel safer, which is priceless. I mean, that's a wonderful thing itself. Well, Ring helps you stay connected to your home from anywhere. So a package delivery, a surprise visitor, no, nothing, anything like that. You can check on it. You can talk to a person ringing your doorbell. You can see who they are and find out who they are. And it gives you some much needed holiday peace of mind. And as a listener, you have a special holiday offer too. You get a Ring starter kit, which is available right now. It has a Ring video doorbell too. I have one of these. They're incredibly nice. Motion activated floodlight cam. And the starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home no matter what the holiday season brings. With Ring, 
Even if you're across the country, you're always home. Just go to ring.com forward slash Clavin. That's ring.com forward slash Clavin. Additional terms may apply, but the only term you need is how to spell Clavin, which is K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. Also, if you haven't finished buying Christmas presents, get The Art of Making Sense. It's my little pamphlet of speeches and articles that I wrote this year. It's getting great reviews, although they wouldn't. Somebody tried to put up a review calling me the new C.S. Lewis, which I greatly appreciate. But uh, they wouldn't. Somehow, Amazon wouldn't let them uh, put it up there. But still, you can get the book, and you can get it on Kindle, and it's priced uh, cheaply, and you can put it in a stocking and everything. So the rest of us are celebrating this peace and prosperity that has come with the Trump administration. There's just no question about it. It has been great. But Nancy Pelosi left her district in San Francisco, stepped over the homeless people littering the sidewalks. Maybe her chauffeur carried her to a car so she wouldn't step in the human feces all over the place or maybe, you know, pierce her foot uh, on one of the syringes lying all over San Francisco. And, uh, and she went to the House to lead the impeachment of the president. And you know, you know, this was a very, very solemn moment, you could tell, because every Democrat said so. We gather today under the dome of this temple of democracy to exercise one of the most solemn powers that this body can take. It's with solemn purpose today that I vote to impeach. Madam Speaker, it is with a solemn sense of duty that I write. Madam Speaker, as we take this solemn, necessary step of impeaching President Trump. I rise on this solemn occasion. Impeaching the president is one of the most solemn and consequential. I cast this solemn vote for the many individuals in my district. Members of Congress swear a solemn oath to protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and today we fulfill our oath. Madam Speaker, I rise with a heavy heart to support this resolution. I rise today with a heavy heart. It is with a heavy heart, but a resolved one. Madam Speaker, it is with a heavy heart and a profound sense of the gravity of this moment that I rise today in support of the impeachment. Madam Speaker, I rise with a heavy heart. The two most difficult uh, votes any member of Congress ever has to cast to, to vote to go to war are to impeach. Today, as Speaker of the House, I solemnly and sadly open the debate. Taking it real hard. <laughs> yeah, they were solemn. You could tell how solemn they were. And then, you know, they had two counts of uh, of impeachment. One was something and the other was something else. Uh, neither of them was a crime. Neither of them was an impeachable offense. But there they were. And when the first one, when they won the first vote and they actually got the impeachment, uh, here's here was the reaction. Article one is adopted. The question... Is on adoption of Article Two. Oh, not everyone, not everyone got the uh, got the message. Uh, it's Schiff, Adam Schiff, and the House Intel Democrats were out, seen out celebrating and drinking at a, a fancy DC restaurant, Charlie Palmer. Uh, and here's Rashida Tlaib before the vote. Hey everyone, I am on my way to the United States House floor <laughs> to impeach <laughs> President Trump. On behalf of my incredible district, 13 districts strong. If 
if she were smiling anymore, she would break her nasty face. <laughs> a grin on this woman's face. The Washington Post, the WAPO uh, reporter, uh, Rachel Bade, sent out this picture of them all celebrating and laughing and high with, with a uh, tweet that said, Mary impeachness, Mary impeachness. And then she, when everybody said, oh, so the Washington Post is just basically an anti-Trump vehicle uh, where democracy dies of boredom, uh, she t- pulls it down and she says, well, everybody misunderstood it to mean exactly what it obviously meant. <laughs> so this is very, very solemn uh, is impeachment. Oh, and now Pelosi, this is unbelievable. Pelosi is saying she may not hand the rules of impeachment over to the Senate because she wants to be able to negotiate with the Senate over the rules, which she has no right to do. The Senate can make its own rules. That's that just like the, the House made these incredibly unfair rules uh, where the president couldn't uh, call any witnesses or they could only call the witnesses they said he could call. And so she wants to hold this up. And, and on top of this, she gave a press conference today, and when they asked her, she said, I'm not taking any more questions on impeachment. So this is this solemn emergency, the, the fate of the House, the fate of the nation, Western civilization is at stake. It's all the, oh my gosh, it's, a, it's such a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, but uh, we're not talking about it. And I may not send it over to the Senate because uh, it's better politically. I mean, who do they think they're fooling? I, you know, I have now spoken personally to three separate people who said I was a never-Trumper. Uh, but I'm voting for him now because this is absurd. That's a lot of people for one person to know who say this stuff, and I haven't talked to that many people. So it's pretty it's pretty uh, wild what I think they're doing. I just think it is amazing. So <laughs> this this whole process was it was embarrassing. Let's let's begin with uh, Pelosi, her opening statement. I, I mean, these are the same. Just remember, these are the same people who, when George W. Bush was trying to win the war on terror. Uh, first supported him, then deserted him, said, oh, you know, it's this, this nationalism, this patriotism, these flag pins, it's all, it all stinks of Hitler, Hitlerian uh, insanity. Here's Nancy Pelosi's opening statement. This morning and every morning when we come together, members rise and pledge allegiance to the flag. Every day, all across America, children in school, members of the military, officials and those uh, civically engaged also pledge allegiance to the flag. Let us recall what that pledge says. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The republic for which it stands is what we are here to talk about today. A republic, if we can keep it. We gather today under the dome of this temple of democracy to exercise one of the most solemn powers that this body can take, the impeachment of the President of the United States. She actually goes in to the Pledge of Allegiance. I mean, she actually says it on the... Unbelievable. And then and that, what I love is the press taking her seriously on MSNBC. Andrea Mitchell and Chris Matthews are discussing, discussing this. Nancy Pelosi is a woman of... Uh, a person of primary colors. You see it. If she's not wearing white, she's wearing bright colors. Uh, she's certainly always, you know, well-appointed, beautifully, beautifully arrayed, if you will. She's wearing black today. And that is a symbolic expression of how somberly they are taking this. Um, It's sacramental. It's sacramental. And and you can talk about the the politics of it. 
it's no question that Nancy Pelosi came to this reluctantly. Oh, what a bunch of crap. It's unbelievable that they can say it's Sacramento. It's Sacramento, I think, maybe. It's, it's as corrupt as Sacramento. I think that's what he was trying to say. It's Sacramento. It's like the mass. It was like it was like taking the body and blood of Christ. It was That's how seriously they took it. Let's listen to some of the rhetoric that came down on the floor. I mean, it, it is, it's amazing to me. When I say they don't know how much we don't care, they don't understand how little we care about this. If they are actually sitting there thinking that anybody besides the most virulent MSNBC watcher is sitting there going, yeah, it's sacramental. They were really solemn. I was really, I really believe I saw That's nuts. But let's go to the house. Let's talk about some of the rhetoric that we heard. Jackie Spire uh, is from California. And, you know, I have to say, when you remember that Schiff and Pelosi are both from California, Gerald Nadler is from New York, it's a reason why we need the Electoral College. It keeps us, it reminds us of why we want to keep the Electoral College, because if everything were California and New York, everything would be these people. I mean, really, it really is that these people have left their districts that are littered with homeless people, that are littered with drugs, that have people crapping on the sidewalks in front of people that are starting, some of their some of these places are starting to think about making, uh, making laws where on your private property you have to leave a place for the homeless people, their policies caused. And when you look at the rest of the country, which is coming back to life as Trump brings jobs back to America, there's just no question that he's done that. When you look at that and you just think like this dream world they're living in, they, they have to sell it at this incredible high rate because otherwise people are going to look at them blinking and saying, wait, th- this is about a phone call to, to Ukraine? Is that what we're talking about? Here's Jackie Spire from California. My father fled Nazi Germany for America because he saw what happened when a despot became untethered. He fled because he believed in democracy and the rule of law and the right to vote. So Donald Trump is Hitler, except they never, I wonder why they never impeached Hitler. I'm I'm just trying to think about, oh yeah, because he was Hitler. (laughs) Because you can't impeach Hitler because he'll kill you because he shut down the the Congress. He basically took over. uh, He became the dictator of the country. And they keep saying this is happening with Trump, except somehow it just never happens. Somehow he never disobeys a court order. Somehow he never passes a law that limits our freedom of speech, rather the opposite. Somehow he never comes and carries this Jackie Spear away. I mean, where where is the Hitler uh, that, that, that you can attack like that and get away with it? There is none. He's just the president of the United States. You know, he's a, he's a loudmouth. He's obstreperous. He's not always nice. All those things are true. But other than that, he's doing a terrific job, and he is just an American president. Let's take another one, Pramila Jayapal from Washington. Without that, we are no longer a democracy. We are a monarchy or a dictatorship. And so today, to uphold my oath to Constitution and country, I will vote to impeach Donald J. Trump. You know, this is a really interesting thing because she says without impeachment, uh, we're in, if we don't impeach him, we're in a monarchy or a dictatorship. And obviously, until they impeached him, we were obviously in a dictatorship and a monarchy. So we've all been saved. And whew, that was close. I mean, I was really I was really missing my democracy where our votes counted and they didn't overturn them for no reason whatsoever. Uh, but but now that, we, you know, now we've been saved, they're, you know, they're not turning the impeachment over to the Senate. And they don't want to have a trial because they don't want to be uh, humiliated by a uh, actual witnesses who might uh, debunk everything they've said, but we're living in this. But it, is, it does remind me of the fact, 
that the Republicans, before Trump put some steel in their spine, during the Obama administration, the Republicans announced that they were never going to impeach Obama. They were never going to impeach Obama. So they basically set him free to do whatever he wanted to do. That Republican Party is gone now, and it's gone because of Donald Trump. That Republican Party that dithered about uh, immigration, that Republican Party that said, oh, we'll never impeach Obama because they were afraid. They were afraid of the press. They were afraid of being called racist. That's why. That's why they said they would never do it. They were afraid of being called racist by the press. That party that trembles at the sight of Chuck Todd is gone. That party is gone because Donald Trump, in his mean way, in his obstreperous way, in his loudmouth way, has put the press back on their heels where he belongs. And of course, just for over-the-top rhetoric, let's not forget the always reliable Hakeem Jeffries from New York again. There are some who cynically argue that the impeachment of this president will further divide an already fractured union. But there is a difference between division and clarification. Slavery once divided the nation, but emancipators rose up to clarify that all men are created equally. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hakeem, because this was like slavery. Until this moment, this was, until they had this impeachment, this was like slavery. I mean, it really was. It was just, it was kind of, you know, the people were working without pay, you know, they're out in the fields being whipped. I mean, it really, until this moment, when they did this thing that they're not sending to the Senate because it's such an emergency and they won't even talk, they won't even answer questions about because it it's so historic. It's so historically historical. It's, it's, it's so historically historical that it's historic how historic it is, and yet they can't be bothered to answer questions about it because it's too, I don't know why, they, because it's nothing, because it's nonsense, I guess that's it. But, but I just I just want to be fair, I just want to be fair, before I move on to talk about some of the other things that were said, and especially to talk about the press, I just want to be fair, there was a little, um, there was a little over, overreach on the right as well. Here's Barry Loudermilk from Georgia. Before you take this historic vote today, one week before Christmas, I want you to keep this in mind. When Jesus was falsely accused of treason, Pontius Pilate gave Jesus the opportunity to face his accusers. During that sham trial, Pontius Pilate afforded more rights to Jesus than the Democrats have afforded this president in this process. <laughs> All right, I'm willing to concede that Trump is Trump is not Hitler, but I'm willing to concede he's not Jesus either. <laughs> so he had a little, a little bit. These guys are just so full of themselves; it's unbelievable. Let me talk about something that actually works, as opposed to our Congress quip toothbrushes. These toothbrushes are electric toothbrushes. My dentist and my dent the dentist assistant told me that electric toothbrushes were the way to go. And Quip is the, tr the toothbrush you can take with you because it's sleek. It doesn't, it comes with battery. It doesn't have to be recharged. It's not built like some kind of bazooka with that's hard to carry around with you. It's sleek. It's really attractive. Uh, Quip and the makers of Quip electronic toothbrushes help you to keep regularly brushing your teeth and keep your habit, your good habits on the road and at home as well. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations, a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide for a full and even clean. Quip makes it easy to stick to healthy brushing habits and the Quip floss dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you use enough. Plus, Quip delivers fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste to your door every three months. If you go to get Quip, 
Clavenmedia.com slash Claven right now. You'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash Claven. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Claven. Quip is the good habits company and you need to get in the habit of knowing how to spell Claven because <laughs> otherwise you can't get that deal. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Let me just play for you the one speech that I loved more than anyone. This is uh, Russ Filcher from Idaho, who basically uh, channeled Michael Knowles in his speech on impeachment. In a day heavy in verbal debate, I choose to use my time to enumerate in detail every high crime and misdemeanor committed by the President of the United States. I will do so now. <laughs> so he just stood there for 30 seconds and said absolutely nothing because the president has not committed any crimes. And he really has not committed any crimes. I mean, he, they, they, haven't, they didn't withhold aid from Ukraine. You know, when Ukraine uh, first annexed Crimea, Bush put uh, sanctions on them. And then Obama took them off and sent the reset button saying Bush overreacted. And when... Putin then realized he could invade Ukraine and invaded Ukraine. Obama, what did Obama send? He sent him like coloring books. I mean, he didn't send him anything. You know, he sent him little, you know, SpongeBob uh, tie clips. So, he did, you know, he didn't send them anything. It was Trump. It was Trump who sent them the lethal aid they needed to fight the Russians, uh, missiles and, uh, and sniper rifles. And he didn't withhold the aid. It got held up. The, the budget office says it got held up on, for normal reasons. He mentioned that they should investigate Biden. That was probably, you know, that was, he has a big mouth. He says too much. That was probably going over the line. They're impeaching him for that. No aid was held up. No quid pro quo. They said quid pro quo. Then, then when that didn't go with their uh, uh, focus group, they changed it to bribery. When they couldn't make that case, they changed it to something and then something else. Uh, it's, it's an embarrassment. It, it is an embarrassment. They're wrapped in shame, but they don't know it yet. They don't know it because they have created this. It may be Pelosi knows it, but I think most of the Democrats are living in a fantasy world. World where they get patted on the shoulder for their participation in the government as a participation trophy for being in government from the press. And, 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 then, and then the press, who thinks they're still living in the world where they were the information we got, they think they're still living in the pre-internet world where the Daily Wire doesn't exist and where all the other right-wing voices don't exist and where facts come out whether they like it or not, they can't understand why the polls are going Trump's way. Polls, uh, Trump's approval rating is going up, support for impeachment is going down, and they can't get it. Here's Chuck, Chuck Todd and Andrea Mitchell, the worst affected. Here they are on, uh, I think this is on NBC, yeah, because there's no difference now between NBC and MSNBC. It's all one big liberal place where they, you know, as long as they can keep Harvey Weinstein from being investigated and protect Bill Clinton, they're happy. They can't understand what's going on. Here they are discussing it hilariously. This is the world that we have. You know, there's the factual debate and then there's the political reality. And as this is it, I mean, it's bizarre to think that he's getting cheers on Battle Creek, Michigan on the same night he is literally getting impeached on the floor of the House. It is bizarre, but historians will make more sense of it than we can right now. All right, Andrew Mitchell, uh, Chuck mentioning that polling. The polling continuing to show nothing has really fundamentally changed. So will actual impeachment change anything? We don't know, because to be totally honest, 
one would, would have thought that over all of these weeks and the testimony and the arguments on the other side, that something would have shifted. But the poll numbers that we have tonight that came out this just this evening are exactly identical to the same polling we had in October within the margin of error. At this point, this is going to play out across America throughout this election. <laughs> because it's going to be decided by the election. You know, it's a long time before the election, and this may not cost the Democrats as much as it should cost them because it's such a long time and Trump can make mistakes, and he does make mistakes. But, but you know, if you remember, if the last vote had come right after the Kavanaugh debacle for the Democrats, I think we would have held the House. I think Republicans would have held the House. Uh, so it's still a long time, but I think this does do more to the Democrats than they can think. I love also Chuck Todd and Andrea Mitchell can't understand why people aren't sold on this complete bunkum. But I love the explanation of political commentator Michael Smirkonish uh, is talking about this and he's got it all figured out. I'm most interested to see whether the result of today and tonight is a momentum shift. I have to believe that there were more eyes on the proceedings that have just ended than at any other point in this process. But here's the question that needs to be answered. Why has public support for impeachment actually declined as the hearings have played and themselves out. his approval out. is up. And his approval is up. But with regard to the decline, I mean, you can look at the Marquette study of Wisconsin, most critical state probably of all 50 in the election, the Gallup survey that came out today. My own theory is that most Americans, many Americans, in the end, because it got so damn nasty, just decided to chalk this up to partisan bickering, a pinnacle of partisanship. You asked Maggie, what's the headline of the future? That would be mine. I don't think that this was born of partisanship. I think this was born of his conduct. And frankly, the underlying facts are pretty straightforward in the end. But in, but it was very hard for people who are working for a living and raising kids and so forth to follow all the names and the places and the dates. <laughs> you funny little people with your funny little jobs couldn't possibly understand the complexities that Michael Smirkonish or whatever his name is understands. You just couldn't, you can't get it. You know who's the one person who I think actually understands this, who actually understands the atmosphere that's going on? I think it's Donald Trump, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But you know what? We are not going to break away today. It's the last uh, Clavin show of uh, before Christmas, and we want to keep as many of you uh, as on the tether before you plunge into the vast empty darkness of the Clavenless holiday. Uh, but, but it's all the more reason for you to subscribe. And one more reason to subscribe is we have a holiday deal for you. It is a perfect gift for your loved ones this season, a Daily Wire gift membership. And from now till January 1st, all Insider Plus gift memberships, our, our big membership, will be 25% off. That means if you give it as a gift, your loved one will get the fantastic perks of the majestic Leftist Tears Tumblr carved from, you know, material mined on Mount uh, Insolence and then shaped into this un unbelievably perfect shape uh, by the mighty fingers of uh, virginal uh, trolls. I have no idea what I'm saying. To stop, let, please, please help me to stop talking before I make a total fool of myself. Uh, <laughs> we'll get the saving, but it's 25% off all Insider Plus gift memberships. You can give a gift to yourself this holiday season and or give a gift to someone else. They will thank you all year long. Go to dailywire.com slash gift to get your 25% off. That's dailywire.com slash gift to get your 25% off. Don't wait. So Donald Trump, as they said, is in Michigan. He's in, Don he's in battle uh, 
Battle Creek, Michigan. And he, while they're impeaching him, he gives his own, you know, rally as if the whole thing isn't happening because I think he really understands how little we care. He, he thinks he, we, he actually gets the fact that we don't care. So let, let's play Trump uh, cut number 17 where he, he tells him this. It doesn't really feel like we're being impeached. Do you? <laughs> the country is doing better than ever before. We did nothing wrong. We did nothing wrong. And we have tremendous support in the Republican Party like we've never had before. Nobody's ever had this kind of support. You know, it's funny. I've been making fun of this impeachment from the beginning because it was like the Russia thing blew up in their face and they tried obstruction of justice. That blew up. And then they finally, oh, we'll take this phone call and hear four lines from this phone call and we'll make a scandal of it. That should work. <laughs> why, are, why isn't anyone believing us? I don't understand. But, you know, just to be serious for a moment, it really is wrong. They have made themselves a laughing stock, but that makes our House of Representatives a laughing stock. And they've made impeachment a laughing stock. It means our government has no gravitas. It means all this rhetoric, uh, you know, that they use has no meaning. One of the things I've complained about it is, is the way they take Trump out of context. I mean, this is really important. Victor Davis Hanson wrote a really good book about this, The Case for Trump. But they say that Trump is mean, but... How many, for how many years have they been calling us names, racist and sexist and evil and all this stuff? And they say Trump is, is vulgar, but who gave us this culture of vulgarity? Who gave us like rap culture and, and that you know, filth everywhere and the, and the foul language that people use in the, even in the workplace? Uh, you know, it wasn't Trump who did that. Trump is the product of that. He's, he's the end result of that. He's not the one who created it. It's the left. It's the left who created it. Now they say, oh, he's lowered the tone of government. You can make that argument, no question about it. But Trump is Hitler, you know, so we're impeaching Trump is slavery, so we're impeaching, you know, they've lowered the tone of government by doing this so incredibly. And I, you know, and Trump really is giving it to them. And I think people are going to start to hear him. Here's, let's take uh, cut 19. Through their depraved actions today, crazy Nancy Pelosi's House Democrats have branded themselves with an eternal mark of shame. And it really is. It's a disgrace. It, it, you know, he's right. And the, and the final thing is just one more thing. You know, it's like the leftist news media, they say we don't understand. We with our funny little people, with our funny little jobs, we don't have the brain power to understand. But this is, we picked Trump for exactly this reason. We picked him to tell them, so, tell them what we think of them. That is why we did it. They say, well, he's threatening the press. No, we're threatening the press. And we're not threatening them with censorship. We're threatening them with, with exposure. We're threatening to tell them who we are and that we know who they are. And here is Trump, uh, one last cut of Trump in, at his rally, uh, talk, talking about the voters. Cut 18. With today's illegal, unconstitutional, and partisan impeachment, The do-nothing Democrats, and they are do-nothing. All they want to do is focus on this. What they could be doing are declaring their deep hatred and disdain for the American voter. <laughs> it's just true. It is just true, and we all feel it, and he knows we feel it. Let's just take a, a real quick look at what was going on during the impeachment. Eleven more federal judges selected by Trump uh, were confirmed. The administration moved to allow cheaper Canadian drugs to be sold in America, which would bring down prescription drug prices, while the Democrats are doing absolutely nothing about this. And an unemployment is now so low, truly, it's so low, that it's gone lower than experts thought was absolutely possible. So on this day of impeachment, just to show them, just to show them how little 
little we care. I think we should close out this segment with the Trump happiness montage. We're going to win so much. We're going to win at every level. economically. We're going to win with the economy. We're going to win with military. We're going to win with health care and for our veterans. We're going to win with every single facet. My oh my, what a wonderful day. We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. Yay! You'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. We can't take it anymore. I feel pretty. Oh, so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and gay. We have to keep winning. We have to win more. We're going to win more. And if that seems like a big Christmas screw you to the Democrats and the press, well, you know, you, you hear you hear what you want to hear. Let me talk a little bit about some easier stuff, uh, some Christmas. Let me give you my list of Christmas movies. There are all these lists of Christmas movies, and they're all incorrect. So let me correct the Christmas movie list. The five best Christmas movies are these. The five best Christmas movies is the Christmas, ca- the Christmas Carol called Scrooge with Alistair Sim. That is the best Christmas movie ever made and will continue to be forever. I think it's 1951. You can't get the wrong one because this is the one. I think It's a Wonderful Life still uh, applies, still is a contender. It's a Wonderful Life is the opposite of A Christmas Carol, right? In A Christmas Carol, a greedy man uh, finds out what his life did to people, whereas in uh, It's a Wonderful Life, a generous man finds out what the world would be like without his life. Uh, some, they're mirror images of themselves, and they both of them change. Both of them show how the cha- internal change changes everything. The Bishop's Wife, if you have never seen The Bishop's Wife, you got to get the original with David Niven. Uh, and uh, who, who is the other woman? Uh, David Niven and Cary Grant is in it as well. And uh, Loretta Young, that's the, the one I'm thinking about. That's about the angel who comes down to help a bishop and starts to be attracted to the bishop's wife. Terrific story. The Holly and the Ivy, a serious British drama uh, that sort of, sort of shows you how family and Christmas and culture overcome even the rifts in a family. It's a very, very beautiful and serious and intelligent movie. And Remember the Night is the one that nobody ever thinks about. That's Fred McMurray uh, and Barbara Stanwyck and just a really interesting offbeat little Christmas movie. Funny Christmas movies, Home Alone cracked me up. I gotta say, that's the slapstick stuff in that just killed me. Jingle All the Way, it's the only Arnold Schwarzenegger comedy that is really funny, and it really is funny, and it really is fun and uplifting. And Christmas Story, I could talk about Gene Shepard forever. He was like, in, in my day, he was just the kind of offbeat broadcaster that only the in crowd knew about. Everybody knew, uh, everybody knew about my father, everybody knew about um, uh, John Gambling, but only the in crowd knew about Gene Shepard, and this is his story, uh, and it still remains hilarious, especially Darren McGavin as the father. And romantic ones, uh, Love Actually, it's a good movie. I'm sorry, those who think it's the worst movie ever, just being make putting it on a show, it's a very good movie, it's very touching, it's got some great stories in it, some good writing in it. The Holiday is one that doesn't get enough play. I, that was a really nice little kind of hallmark, above, you know, cut above the hallmark uh, level. 
White Christmas is, of course, a terrible, it is the greatest terrible movie ever made. It's, it's an awful movie, but it is just great. And it's rewatchable. You watch it again and again and again. And, of course, Die Hard, which is, uh, according to the Gospels, is Jesus' uh, favorite Christmas movie of all. All right, let me end with this, a final reflection on Christmas. Uh, and before I let you go into the maelstrom, a lot of people uh, complain that Christmas is really a pagan holiday that's been refitted for Christianity. And that's true. But to me, that's a feature, not a bug. For me, the birth of Christ, the incarnation of God's logos, the moment that the God we can't see becomes seeable and the God we can't understand becomes understandable. That was like a spiritual atom bomb going off in history. After the first explosion, there's all sorts of devastating effects. You get the resurrection, you get healing, you get miracles, you get crazy behavior, people sitting on poles and handling snakes and sneaking and speaking in tongues. But soon, the radiation, or in this case, the radiance, spreads out and becomes part of everything. It permeates everything and it transforms everything into a vehicle for itself. Everything becomes irradiated or radiant with the good news of the coming of Christ. History becomes different. It's now, history is now the events that led up to the first coming of Christ. That's how we re-understand it and how Jesus taught us to re-understand it. And everything after that becomes events leading up to the second coming of Christ. Religion is transformed. People don't think about it this this way, but this is the way I see it. Religion used to be an endless series of, of pleading prayers and sacrifices that man made to God. And suddenly it becomes instead the vehicle of the good news about the one sacrifice that God made for man. Religion still have rules and they have doctrines and they have theories, but really what's important about all those things is how well and how much they carry the good news. It's the good news that matters. Christianity is not a religion, it is good news, and the different religions, as far as I'm concerned, are just vehicles for carrying that good news. And as I started by saying, holidays are transformed. Holidays used to be brute celebrations of physical events, like the winter solstice when the light of the sun begins to return. Now, it's a celebration of a spiritual miracle in which the light of the world begins to shine on the hearts and minds of men. It has transformed a pagan holiday into a Christian holiday. That's a good thing. But to celebrate the birth of Christ is only to celebrate the beginning of the story. The birth of Christ, just like the birth of everybody, is only the beginning. A friend of mine this year made a wonderful observation about the Nicene Creed. This is the creed that you say, and I think the, believe the Catholic and certainly the Episcopal Church, which tells you what the basic thing you believe as a Christian. And one of the uh, parts of it says, we believe Jesus came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man. And he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. It's a section of the Nicene Creed. And my friend pointed out, and other people have pointed this out before, but this really grabbed me. He pointed out that Christ's life, the things he said and did, are completely missing from the creed. It goes right from his incarnation to his crucifixion. And my friend said, that's like giving us the bread of the sandwich, but leaving out the meat of the sandwich. And whoever heard of a bread sandwich? And I thought about this because I I sometimes fear that a lot of us believe in Christianity in this way. We're very swift to defend and preach the doctrines of our particular church, but we're slow to go back and puzzle over what Jesus was actually trying to tell us. He was a preacher. Why did he come? What was he trying to say? And I don't mean taking phrases out of context as a way of attacking people that we disagree with. I'm talking about the logos of God trying to teach you and me how to align ourselves with him, right? Jesus said stuff. 
He told us to do stuff. He said, judge not lest ye be judged, lest ye be judged. And I think he meant exactly what he was saying. He said, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. And I don't think he was speaking in code. I think he meant exactly that too. He said, love God, love your neighbor, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good alike. He sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. In other words, God loves his human creation and he wants you to act like his child and love it too. I don't think Jesus said any of these things so we can feel bad when we fail to do them. And I don't think he said them so that we can dissect them and parse them and find ways to get out of doing them. And I definitely don't think he said them so we can accuse other people of not doing them. I think Jesus said these things because he knew when you attune your heart to the immensity of God's love, you start to become joyful and you become more joyful every day. And I'm, obviously I've said this before, but it's, it's worth saying again. When I say that, when I say joyful, I don't mean you get happy. Happiness comes and goes. It comes and goes according to the happy or sad things that happen to you. I mean you become abundantly alive. You become vitally present. You become crazily glad to be here even in this veil of tears. I love Christmas because what was once a celebration of the light of the sun and the abundant life it gives the earth is now a celebration of the light of the world and the abundant life he offered to each and every one of us. Not just in his birth, because his birth was only the beginning, and not just in his death, though his death was never the end, but his life, his miracles, his, wor his words. These are the contents of the incarnation. These are the gifts of Christmas. And while heaven and earth will pass away, those words will never pass away. The gift is for you, and no one can take it from you. So, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, rejoice, Rejoice evermore and have a wonderful, wonderful Merry Christmas. Survivors will gather here in the new year. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Have a wonderful Merry Christmas. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay, and our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant Director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. On The Matt Wall Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.